It's August 30th, 2007, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of the show. Today's guest is Allison Overton, a fine art photographer whose work blurs the line between what is a photograph and what is a painting. For as long as photography has been in existence, it's been associated with images created by oils, pastels, and watercolors. The principles of composition and lighting that we practice as photographers have been utilized for centuries by painters, so it's no surprise that artists like Allison enjoy the blending of both arts into images. Whether a photographer or a painter, the goal of every image maker is to evoke a a feeling, a reaction from the viewer, and I believe that these dreamy gothic landscapes certainly do that. What I really appreciate about a work is that they force us to rethink not only what we consider as a photograph, but also what we're hoping to express any time we make an image. So, I hope you'll enjoy our conversation with Allison Overton. Well, Allison, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you, Ibarian X. It's so wonderful to be here. And you got the name right, so kudos. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's start off from your beginnings. I know you got um, uh, you went to college not for photography, but for, for something else. Um, but somehow you sort of segued into using photography for for your work. Um, tell me, tell me about that whole process. Well. Um, Going back to the year zero when I was born, I never knew a time when I did not make art. And um, I always drew, always uh, made things, and kept myself busy that way. I went to North Carolina State University School of Design. It's now called College of Design. But I went there for architecture and switched over to graphic design very early on. I wanted to figure out a way to use my creative powers or whatever and make money at the same time. So graphic design seemed the way to go. And I did that. I um, graduated with a degree in graphic design. While I was at school, I took one photography course from a very extremely talented man whose name was Mark Stevens. Unfortunately, he passed away some years ago, but he was fabulous, and I was a bit worried because it was the intermediate class, but he needed extra students to fill up the intermediate class, not the beginning, and he said to me, don't you worry about the technical part. You can just pick that up. We're going to stress composition in this class, and I think that is absolutely what saved me. I learned so much about composition uh, from him, and he shot full frame and printed full, well, rather, he printed full frame always. And I took that uh, as well and always printed full frame, always. And I felt like that helped me be able to um, compose while shooting. I think that's a really, uh, a really, uh, a really successful way to I, uh, yeah, take I, photographs. I think that's awesome because um, oftentimes I'm, when I'm teaching photography, I often start with the creative end. I think 
that traditionally it's always been taught that you have to understand the technical stuff way before you can do anything creative. And photography is one of the rare arts where you can immediately become creative, even if you have very little understanding of the, the technical matters. This is true. And I honestly, to tell you the truth, I still have, I'm still not very good technically. I feel like I can print a good black and white photograph, but that actually does not really interest me um, to, to be perfectly technical. As long as the water <laughs> seems pretty, you know, seems like it's about 68 or whatever. I really, I don't let any of this stuff bother me. And my prints always look fine to me as long as they're relatively dustless. And then I spot tone them later. And then I paint on top of them. Um, they look fine to me, and well, they're always archival. So that that I do that I do care about. I I don't want them turning brown or doing something weird. But um, yeah, I'm, I, there's enough photographers out there. The good thing about photography is there's so many different kinds of photographers. And as I told you earlier, um, Zen, not Zone. And I have nothing against Zone. I think Zone is wonderful. But Angel Adams was the king of Zone. And if anyone else wants to follow him, that's fine. But I prefer to try to make some type of original art using a camera. Yeah. Very original art. And yeah. that's what's important to me. Yeah, and your work is really interesting because you're using um, photographs and you're, you're manipulating them, not using a computer, but using transparent oils and, and merging multiple images together. Tell me about the process of... of coming to that point because I suspect that when you were first taking classes you were probably taking fairly straight photographs but I suspect that probably your your experience with graphic design probably influenced that but when did you sort of discover that this was a path that you wanted to take with your with your photographic work right well um, the first few years or so that I was taking pictures I really took pictures only with the old Nichromat FT3 that my parents had given me and I had a very busy graphic design business, so I was working all of the time. I had my own business for several years. Uh, I would, my husband is from England, and so we would go to England to visit his family every now and then, and when we went, I would take my camera and take as many pictures as I could of wherever we went to visit. And uh, even if I didn't have access to a dark room at that point, I would always just get my negatives um, uh, developed and then just hold on to them until I had access to a darkroom. So I, I had quite a, a lot of uh, negatives that I had but had not printed or even made contact sheets for. So when I did get access to a darkroom, I was able to do that. And so a lot, I'd say it's about the first eight years or so of um, from maybe 80 to 88 was just 35 millimeter uh, full frame with borders, black and white prints that would say maybe be less than five by seven across. And then a friend of mine lent me his Widelux F6, which is, has a 140-degree uh, wide-angle lens um, that uh, uh, runs on a little turret, moves when uh, you uh, shoot the picture. And I started messing around with that, and that's the one that Christine Harbour um, bought uh, later on in years, and I helped her um, figure out how to take pictures with it. Maybe took a year or so of frustration <laughs> off of her um, because it's very hard to take pictures with that camera. You can't see about three fourths of uh, you can't see, excuse me, about one fourth of what uh, the the uh, camera sees, 
and uh, it's, it's, you get some telephone pole or something in it that you, know, you don't want. Anyway, um, so after that, I, I shot with the Wilux for a while, then I bought an old rolling cord, and I was shooting with that, and I accidentally put a couple of images together. Really, they just sat side by side, and I liked how it was so much. I thought, how can I do this? But make them even more together, like say, like um, a multiple image or something like that. And I had an old Holga, and I thought, well, maybe I could do it that way. And I didn't even realize that other people had done it. And I went out and just uh, shot. I took the mask out first, which makes it have a hard edge negative. And then I started shooting, and just randomly moving forward the uh, film advance on that, and just would get an entire piece of the entire roll of film uh, developed and not cut and so I just uh, print sections of that film and so I get this sort of um, collage look but that's all done in camera and I don't really quite know what I'm going to get and then so I print sections of it either rectangular or square sections I've been printing more square sections lately because I have some Kodak Ectolor G left over from years past and I'm using that up and I love that paper so much, and I still lament the fact that Kodak um, had to uh, discontinue that paper all those years ago because it's perfect for hand tinting. Mm -hmm. So I print my photographs, and I hand tint on them with Marshall's photo oils, and each one then becomes a quite unique piece of art because I tint completely different colors uh, from one print to the next. I only print maybe, say, one, two, or three prints of each one. A lot of your your subjects tend uh, seem to be, you know, very old structures, either in cemeteries or in churches or, or, in, or in gardens, and it hints at the presence of people without really showing any people in in the photographs, other than the representations of them in in the in the sculptures. What's the appeal of this of this subject matter to you? Because I see you you've you, it's a theme that comes up in in several of your series that you have up in your website. Right. Um, one of my artist friends made a joke one night um, and said that my art is art for the mature goth. I was never a goth, but I like gothic, <laughs> gothic type themes. Um, I grew up with sort of eccentric parents who always collected antiques. And on Sunday afternoons after church, instead of, I don't know, dad watching football or whatever, we would go to um, area antique shops and go look for antiques. And I can remember being six years old doing this. So it always happened. And I always, so I always loved antiques, and I always loved England for some reason, and I don't know why unless I remember seeing the Beatles um, the first time they played on that television show, and maybe perhaps that might have been part of it. But um, I always loved England, anything British and Europe, European stuff. My family went to Europe when I was 14, for a couple of weeks, and the architecture there just always struck me as superior <laughs> to the architecture here. I think I just like all of the the elements, all the decorative elements, and uh, I love all the very old gardens there. Also, the light quality in Europe is just incredible to me, especially Northern Europe has an incredible light quality. The shadows are often very not defined and sort of... Um, ghost-like. Anyway, um, and the fogginess and all that. So I guess, and I keep people out of it, um, not because I don't like people, but because I want my photographs to have a kind of timeless look, like they could have been maybe taken 75 years ago or today. 
that you don't know when they would have been taken. In in terms of the the locations, in terms of finding them, um, do you sort of research where you want to go, or do you have sort of a um, a, a general sense? Tell me tell me about you know. Yeah, I do actually. Points. I do that. Um, well. Like I said, having, my husband Lindsay is from London, and we've been married now almost 23 years. And so we've been over to England quite a few times to visit. All his family lives over there. So we'll go over there, and when you got a free place to stay, even though it's an expensive place to go to, it, it really helps out a lot. And um, I bought a really nice double-A book. Double-A over in England is like triple-A here. Double-A book of, of um, Britain. So it's uh, Scotland, uh, England, and Wales. And I basically just studied that book, and we would rent a car every time we'd go over, and so I would have places lined up that I would like to go to. And if we weren't too far away, we would go to these places. Actually, Britain's not a big place anyway, so you can basically drive from Land's Inn and Cornwall up to the top of Scotland and maybe like, I don't know, a day and a half or something. So, you know, it's not really that big of a place. But anyway, I would find all of these old castles or abbey ruins, uh, just old churches, um, really wonderful old gardens. And Lindsay's cousin, the first time we went over there in 84 for our honeymoon, took me to this wonderful chalk horse that's cut in the uh, side of a hill in, uh, in um, Oxfordshire. It's not too far from Swindon, and it's called the Uppington Chalk Horse. And so every time we've been there, I've gone up and walked around and taken pictures of the uh, Chalk Horse. Mm -hmm. Just that sort of ancient stuff. It's not ancient ancient, but it's ancient enough. Um, interests me so much, and therefore that's what I like to take pictures of. Do you find any sort of, because you're out in the, on the East Coast where they're still, maybe not as old as England, but there are still some very old structures and locations. Do you visit any of those in, in creating your images or, or no? I do. When we get a few days that we can go away somewhere, especially in the fall, I like the fall or spring, really, and winter's not bad either. Um, Savannah's a wonderful place. Um, my most recent show, which is still up downtown in Raleigh at Art Space, is uh, 13 or actually another 12 photographs from uh, Bonaventure Cemetery in Savannah. I like cemeteries that are very old that have a lot of like people statues in them, people or uh, angels or something like that. I like to tent them so that they look sort of quasi alive. <laughs> it's kind of strange, but it's kind of what I like to do. And uh, I recently visited some friends up in Brooklyn, and I went to Greenwood Cemetery up in Brooklyn for a morning. I was only there about an hour and a half, but I took four or five rolls of um, Holga, and I've got those ready to print hopefully very soon. But yeah, um, cemeteries, gardens, uh, uh, Biltmore in Asheville in North Carolina is a really, really wonderful architectural structure. And that's very appropriate for what I like to shoot. Right, and cool. so, yeah, I do find things. And there's more. I haven't been to. There's uh, Winter Tour up in um, Delaware, and there's some place up in Maryland that's got all these um, topiary uh, things. Oh, up in Rhode Island, there's tons of wonderful. Um, up in uh, Newport, there's all these wonderful mansions and uh, green animals, uh, topiary gardens. So, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I'm already next. That's what I like to shoot. Yeah. Tell me a bit about 
determining what sort of what sort of paints to use with these because I know there there are a large variety of options to photographers who want to tint their images. How did you how did you come to determine that these martial martial oils were the best for for what you were trying to do? And have you experimented with other with other mediums as well? Right. Um, when I was in school and taking that first photography course, there was uh, a guy at school who's actually a famous graphic designer now. His name is Alex Isley. And he actually had a set of marshals, and uh, we were in the same class. And he said, you know, Allison, your photos of, I was taking animals, photos of, like, farm animals and stuff. He said, you know, your photographs would, uh, would probably look good uh, being hand-tinted with marshals. And I said, well, let me see them. So he showed me how to do it. And... Uh, from that one little lesson of him showing me how to do one one uh, picture, I went down to the local art store, in an art supply store, and got um, a, my own box of Marshalls and started using them. Although I was using, um, what do you call that paper? It's, uh, oh, I can't remember it now anyway. It was too slick, really, for the... Um, for the uh, Marshalls, and I tried some other things. There's Dr. Martin's inks, although the colors are way too saturated, too bright, and there's also photo pencils and other stuff. But the Marshalls really is the best, and unfortunately, the best paper, which is Ectolorgy, uh, Kodak Ectolorgy, was discontinued in 1999, and I actually wrote them and pleaded for them to please at least make another kind of paper that would have the same texture the same paper texture but of course nobody really wants it so <laughs> they're not making it and uh, there is one other kind of paper burger silver supreme that's quite expensive and it's a lot like uh, um, arches uh, watercolor paper cold press and that's a little bit more difficult to tint but most papers don't tint well with marshalls but i feel marshalls has the best range of colors and I don't really use them straight out of the tube. It's um, a little bit too neon. I generally mix, uh, say, either sepia or neutral tint or Payne's gray or something with the colors to uh, gray or brown them down a little bit so they look a little bit more like reality. Well, I was looking at your resume. I saw that you made your, your, your living for a, large, for a large period of time you know, as a sort of graphic designer, but eventually... Um, you went full time as as an artist, and I think a lot of people aspire to do that. But um, I really am curious to see how you were able to to make that transition, and and what led you to to, to make that choice. Right. Well, what happened was when I graduated um, school design in uh, 1982, uh, the uh, graphic design was still uh, repetigraph pens and amberlith overlays and making mechanicals, you know, nothing computer, uh, exacto knives and so forth. And I just took that as far as I could. If I had been working in a firm, in an, in an ad agency, I probably would have just gone ahead and stayed with graphic design. But in 1992, I made a, or early 93, I made a decision to just not do that anymore. Also, I was reaching my early 30s and um, my husband and I decided that it might be a good time to try to have a child. So I had, we had our son. We have one, one son, and he's now 12. And um, I just did not go back into graphic design again. I did not want to do it. I feel like it's a career with a shelf life. It's meant for young brains, young minds. It, it's, awfully, um, it's awfully intense. And I, was, I had graphic, um, Goodmark Foods as my 
main client. This was my own business, and I was working so much for so many years. They're the Slim Jim people, and I did not do that Eat Me campaign, <laughs> but um, I did all of their uh, packaging and point-of-sales displays for seven years. Just it was, an, it was a huge job, and I decided that I would just pick up my photography full-time, but I don't make that much money, really, although I do have a studio downtown in an open studio environment called Artspace which is a really great place. I have loads of artist friends down there, and it's a wonderful um, wonderful place. But I make probably a tenth of what I made as a graphic designer. Um, my husband, though, um, has his own house painting business, and he does quite well with that. So, And we live kind of lean, and that's how I do it. Um, I just I don't – I hope to make more as time goes by because I've only had the studio for about a year. Uh, I have a couple of galleries that I'm affiliated with, and – and so forth, but who knows, you know, you just never know. The, uh, the opportunities come, and I just jump on them, basically. Yeah. But I can see from your resume that you've, you've shown your work in a, a, lot of, a lot of places, and I think what's one of the first things that people sort of are sort of intimidated, the whole idea of, you know, approaching people with their work to see about, you know, either getting group shows or individual shows or, or whatnot. Right. Um, what's that whole process been like for you from the beginning, and how has it changed over, over time since you've been in it for, for a while now? Right. Well, I I wish that I could be more than one person. I wish that I could be my own. I am my own rep, but I wish that my rep could be me, but a whole other person. Because <laughs> it just seems like there's not enough hours in the day to be um, a wife, mother, um, housekeeper, art maker, and art rapper. You know, it's just so much to do in one day. I do what I can, but um, as far as opportunities go... I enter. I don't enter every contest that comes along, mainly because jury shows are so darn expensive now. It, um, a national show can be forty dollars to enter. It's really quite ridiculous. And if you enter ten shows a year, that's four hundred dollars already. So I pick and choose my shows. I also um, talk to anyone that I meet uh, who would possibly know someone who has a gallery or um, talk to other artists and find out. We all just try and help each other, really. Um, I entered last year a national photography show in Richmond, Virginia, the 1212 Gallery. Uh, they were starting up, and I very luckily got into that show. When, when a couple of thousand or 1,500 pieces are entered, really I would think there's about 300 or so at least. Very, 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 very excellent photographs. And then the juror just has to make a show out of that. And so really it's kind of luck whether you really get in in the show or not, I think. And so I felt lucky to get in that. And then um, they liked my work so much. The people at the gallery said they asked me to have a uh, solo show, which I'll have next August, August 2008. That's just how that stuff comes about. I think it's just luck and just hanging in there. And, you know, I... I get rejected from way more shows than I get into, and for most people, I think that would be the case. So I would say to not uh, be disappointed, just to keep trying. Yeah, I think that's really the key to success, really. I'm wondering about the, the reaction to the work uh, on a couple of points, but one of the first ones I want to discuss with you is this whole idea of what is a photograph. Um, you know, there, there are people that are very sort of 
rigid in terms of what they consider to be a photograph and you sort of walk that edge between painting and, and photography and um, because you're yeah. using f photography primarily as the, the launching point for, for the work that you're doing but it's still photography but there is some element of painting in there and I'm wondering what sort of reaction you get in terms of people wanting you to sort of define what you're doing yeah I do feel like it's in between uh, photography and painting. In fact, my son told me to call them paintos, like <laughs> like photos, painting, painting photos, paintos. So anyway, I don't do that, but that's what he told me. But anyway, um, I think that any image that's made with any sort of camera, whether it looks like a photograph or not, is a photograph. I think just to be made with a camera or even, you know, pinhole, anything, camera obscura, um, anything, as long as it's got some element of um, image that's made with sensitized paper and light. Not, maybe, I don't know, photograms? Yeah, maybe photograms as well because um, they're made with light, anything. I'll tell you that what really interested me was um, there was this Asian guy a few years ago who um, put would put negatives on leaves. Did you hear about this guy and no. the photosynthesis of the leaves? This was oh, to me. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember. That, to me, that is, that is true art. When I heard that, uh, that excited me to no end, that this person was putting leaves <laughs> in water up on his rooftop in, I guess, China or Japan. I can't remember where he was. And I saw a couple of the images, and they just, I just felt a chill when I looked at this image of a, like a little boy's face. I just, it was just incredible to me on this leaf. Mm. I thought, that is really something. And then there's an, a woman whose first name is Anne. I cannot remember her last name. Is it Brooks, perhaps? She's a rather famous artist who works in photography, but not solely photography. And she um, made small pinhole cameras out of film canisters and put them in her mouth and would open her mouth to expose uh, the film. And those things just thrill, that thrills me to no end. That is to, to me, that's new ways to make a photograph. So to me, that's photography. That's when photography excites me. Not when uh, it's just a pristine, gorgeous, black-and-white photograph. You know, no offense to people who do, it, do that, but it's been done. It's been done so much. And the art in it, to me, is figuring out new ways to do it, a different way to see it. That, to me, is the real art of it. And what's the response to people who see your work, you know, whether it's at exhibition or find you on the website? What's the sort of um, reaction that you typically seem to, to, to get? Yeah, you know, uh, down in my studio, even though I have um, a statement up on the wall, which is really can be plainly seen, it's probably in 20, no, it's yeah, maybe like 18 point type. And so it's quite easy to read. It explains that my photograph is, my photography is um, darkroom photography. Uh, that I paint on top of with uh, transparent photo oil paints, people don't get it. I have to tell them every time. <laughs> I think I don't know what they think it is. Um, I think people do think that it's possibly computer generated with Photoshop, which is fun because I think that's fun as well. But um, 
people go, oh, oh, really? Oh, this is hand-tinted photography? And I guess maybe a lot of people don't know about it. They want to see me do it. And so they watch me paint on my photographs directly on them with cotton balls and Q-tips the way I do it. I take... uh, I um, really rub the color in and take most of the color out again so that it's just basically a, a light stain of color that, you know, so you can see the photograph through it. People generally like my work. Um, I haven't really heard too many people say that they don't like it. I guess they won't come up to me and say, I hate your work. It doesn't matter to me anyway whether they like it or don't like it. I'm going to make the work I make uh, no matter what. Uh, and generally, I guess... Well, when I was in a photography group here in town, it generally was uh, sort of technically-minded folks, and people really didn't know what to say about it, so I really didn't think that was the group for me to be in anyway. Uh, I don't really care if I get any type of uh, constructive criticism or not. I, I don't know. You know, it doesn't. I'm just doing what I want to do, and and if it works, fine. If it doesn't work, I throw it away, and... That's, I don't. Does that sound too egotistical? Yeah. I hope not. Because I don't no, feel like I'm egotistical. But, I just feel like I'm pretty, pretty sure in what I'm doing. Well, that's that's one of the things I'm sort of that 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 point you just made is one one that I'm really curious about because yeah, um, you know, you you get a print, you start painting in them, and when you start applying those applying those oils directly out of the paper, you yeah, know, it's it's just like when you take a picture. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. And right. Are you sometimes you know you taking multiple prints? And then trying different things on them and seeing which one works the best. And, you know, because um, I'm sure the first time that you apply the, the oils to the paper, it, it's not you know, like all of a sudden magic happens and there it is. I mean, it's, right. it's just like anything. There are, there are mistakes made. There, there, there are discoveries that you, you make as you're doing it. So so how do you, you know, come to, because yeah. this is a very unique print that you're making. It's not like Yeah, it is. And uh, over the years... Um, uh, I've got these little methods that make it easier, and also knowing what most of the colors look like when they go down, um, or applied rather, I, I um, can save myself some mistakes. But I will tell you, about once a week I trash a print, probably, because I just it just can't be fixed, especially if I put really dark colors on there. There is a solution that I can use to take the... Uh, the uh, oil off but it's really volatile it's horrible stuff <laughs> it's like really super strength um turpentine or whatever it's really nasty but anyway what i do is i generally start from the uh i go from the background forward so i will tint the sky in a print first and i've done a few recently where the sky has multiple colors in it and i'm really much much happier with that sort of thing i want the sky to be quite involved but it takes me some time that might it might be the longest the most involved thing is just getting the sky correct getting the sky right like i want it and then i'll go say do the grass um and whatever is in the foreground um the trees the background trees i'll do those as well either before or after the foreground depending on what touches what and i'll end up with the little details in the foreground being the last part that I do. Um, so I, don't, I guess that's all I can say, really, about that. Yeah. You, you talked about using, like, the Holga, which is a plastic toy camera, and, and the wide Alux um, yeah. uh, cameras to, to do that. Um, I'm sure that a lot of people ask you, why don't you shoot digitally and recreate the images digitally? 
Uh, yeah, they do. So. And I love digital cameras. I only have one right now because I just, frankly, I don't have a whole lot of money to spend on photography equipment, and I don't really want to because I really want to use these. I want to use these old or low-tech cameras for my art because it seems to suit what I. Well, I feel like it suits what I take, you know, the the image, the um, subject matter, and all. But I do love my little digital camera. I just have a little Canon Elf One Touch, and it's just I just love that little thing because it's so much fun to take pictures that I would never ever take just for myself though like say I had some frozen blueberries the other day that I put out on the counter and they had that wonderful kind of um, sort of uh, frosty frozeny look after they've been out for a couple of minutes and I went and got my camera and I just took some very very close up pictures some macro pictures of these blueberries just for myself just for my own joy and it made me think of that wonderful photograph who is that who was that photographer? I can't think of his name right now. Um, but anyway, he did the frozen food stack um, back in the 60s. He's the guy that took all, like, those coal miners and everything in front of the white backgrounds. You know, maybe he did the, the beekeeper. You know you, you know who I'm going to talk about. He's very famous, but I can't Richard remember his Avalon? name. That's who it is. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, um, he had taken a photograph on a white background of the, the stack of uh, – um, like, say, frozen peas, frozen raspberries, frozen corn, frozen blueberries, all in, like, sort of a rainbow color. And I just love that. I always love that picture. So I just did this little close-up of these blueberries, and it was my tribute to him, just a personal thing. And it will never be seen by anybody but me, but I just like it. And, you know, you can go out at night and put it on macro and just take these really National Geographic quality photographs of close-up flowers and stems and weird bugs that are on the the flowers and so forth, and I love that. That's what I love about the digital. It just takes it so much further, you know? But I'm not doing that for my art. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to do it for my art. And uh, people have asked me to do very large prints, and I'm working with a local um, person in town who um, scans and puts uh, the scans onto, the images onto, say, Canvas. Mm -hmm. And I've got to figure out a new way. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really not 100% happy about having a digital in image. But if I want to do something that's, say, like four by five feet or whatever, I will have to do it that mm -hmm. way. And then I will paint on that. And then I have to figure out a way. The Marshalls does not work on this photo canvas at all. I've tried and tried. So I'm going to have to probably go to regular oil paint with um, some linseed oil and some maybe cold wax medium and just try and figure out how I can get a, a transparent layer on top of that, wow, on top that of that um, image. Yeah, so I'll take, that's probably the next thing I'll do to get large images is I'll probably just go and just use regular oil paint. I don't like acrylic paint, so I would probably go to, go to um, regular oil paint way you know, uh, watered down, not water, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and this will provide yeah. probably a very much different look than what you've had before, so it should be sort of interesting. This, this, I this hope so. It, I would just, yeah, I just want it to be able to, um, the, the Marshalls is so wonderful in being able to, um, uh, like, say, blend. It blends so beautifully, and I love not having any type of brush strokes. So I would just have to think, 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 you know, mm. and what would, what would I apply it with, a large sponge? I don't know. To get, to get my same, I want that same effect. I love that, that sort of very blendy, very subtle look. Yeah. 
Well, the way I always end the show is by asking a photographer to recommend another photographer who they think the listeners should go and check out. So who would that be for you and why? Okay, I'm going to give you two and um, because you tell me I could. The first one is his name is Bruce Melkowitz, and his last name is spelled M-E-L-K-O-W-I-T-S. He's here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and he does the most exquisite calotypes that you have ever seen. I love his work. He is not really out there too much on the web, but he can be Googled and found, and his work is fabulous. The other one is Alan Deemer, A-L-A-N-D-E-H-M-E-R, and he has um, a website um, at woodsedge.com. I do believe that's what it is. And he does um, gum by chromates. And he also lives in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I think they are two of the most exciting photographers that I have seen in these parts and anywhere because they do different stuff with their photography. And that's why I think they're worthy. Well, great. Thank you so much for joining us, Allison. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thanks again for joining me. If you have any comments or suggestions, please email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. Until next time, this is Ivarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.